Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the Automotive Property Brief 2021 Second Quarter Financial Results Conference Call and Webcast. My name is Michelle and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode. Following management's remarks, we will conduct a question and answer session. Please be aware that certain information discussed today may be forward-looking in nature. Such forward-looking information reflects the REIT's current views with respect to future events. Any such information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected in the forward-looking information. For more information on the risks, uncertainties, assumptions relating to forward-looking information, please refer to the REIT's latest MDNA annual information form which are available on CDAR. Management may also refer to certain non-IFRS financial measures. Although the REIT believes these measures provide useful supplemental information about financial performance, they are not recognized measures and do not have standardized meanings under IFRS. Again, please refer to the REIT's latest MDNA for additional information regarding non-IFRS financial measures. This call is being recorded on Thursday, August 12th, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Lam, Milton Lamb. Please go ahead, Mr. Lamb. Great, thank you, Michelle. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. With me today on the call is Andrew Calra, our Chief Financial Officer. While the automotive dealership industry, including our tenant group, continues to operate on continue to operate under COVID-19 related business restrictions. During Q2, automotive retail sales continued to rebound with significant year-over-year growth to date in 2021, reflecting the resiliency of the industry. According to DeRosier Automotive Consultants, new automotive sales in Canada were up 33% for six months ending June 30th, compared to the same period last year. This rebound demonstrates the success of the dealership operators in responding to COVID-related business restrictions with enhanced e-commerce solutions, customer service offerings, and streamlined operations, combined with the impact of pent-up consumer demand for both new and used vehicles. Our portfolio remains fully leased, and we've had 100% contractual-based rent collection under our leases, plus contractual base rent that was due under the deferral agreements. We generated growth across all of our key performance measures in the quarter. In comparison to Q2 of last year, our property rental revenue grew by 4.1%. Cash NOI increased by 8.6%. Same property cash NOI was up 1.1% and AFFO per unit diluted increased to 22.1%, sorry, 22.1 cents from 20.5 cents. 
At quarter end, our debt to GV ratio was 41.3%, down from 43.2% at 2020 year end and 44.4% at the end of Q2 last year. We remain well positioned to deploy, to deploy capital on growth opportunities. The capitalization rate applicable to our entire portfolio was 6.5% at quarter end, a reduction of approximately 10 basis points from Q1. The reduction of the capitalization rate in the quarter reflects a decrease in discount rates for our properties in the greater Toronto and Montreal areas by approximately 20 basis points during the quarter, primarily due to industry-wide single-tenant retail and industrial capitalization reductions. This represents an increase of approximately 2% in IFRS value for our investment properties. As provincial COVID-19 related restrictions continue to ease, we anticipate the pent-up consumer demand will continue to support Canadian new and used auto sales, plus service work performed by our dealerships, providing greater certainty for dealership operators to shift from a defensive strategies towards growth. While the pandemic has also impacted the vehicle supply chain, resulting in constraints on specific parts, models, and brands, we believe these supply constraints are temporary and will not have a material impact on our tenants. Further, these supply constraints are offset by the strength of dealer margins. The strong performance of the industry and the strength of our portfolio has resulted in continued favorable support from our lending partners. In Q2, we expanded and extended one of our credit facilities uh, to a total of five years in two, to 2026. I'd now like to turn it over to Andrew Calra to review our financial results and position in more detail. Andrew? Thanks, Milton. Good morning, everyone. Our property rental revenue for the quarter totaled $19.6 million. The 4.1% increase from Q2 2020 reflects growth from properties acquired subsequent to Q2 last year and contractual annual rent increases. Total cash NOI and same property cash NOI for the quarter totaled $16 million and $15.3 million respectively, reflecting increases of 8.6 and 1.1% compared to Q2 a year ago. Growth in cash NOI was primarily attributable to acquisitions, contractual rent increases. Growth in same property cash NOI primarily reflects contractual rent increases. GNA expenses for the quarter were approximately 7.4% of cash NOI compared to 7% in Q2 last year. The higher GNA expense in Q2 this year was attributable to the REIT's growth to the vesting of the previously issued deferred units. Net income for the quarter was $17.9 million compared to a net loss of $23.4 million in Q2 last year. Positive variance was primarily due to higher NOI, fair value adjustments for, investment, for the investment properties, which Milton just discussed, fair value adjustments to Class B LP units and unit-based compensation. FFO, AFFO for the quarter increased by 102 and 11.5% respectively compared to Q2 last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. FFO per unit diluted was 23.6 cents in the quarter compared to 22.2 cents in Q2 a year ago, and AFFO per unit diluted increased 7.2% to 22.1 cents from 20.5 cents 
in Q2 a year ago. These growths was primarily due to properties acquired subsequent to Q2 a year ago, bad debt reversal related to the tenant receivables and contractual rent increases. REIT paid total distributions of $9.85 million or 20.1 cents per quarter in per quarter per unit in the quarter, representing an AFFO payout ratio of 91%. This compares to a total distribution paid of $9.6 million or 20.1 cents per unit in Q2 last year, representing an AFFO payout ratio of 98%. The AFFO payout ratio was lowered this quarter primarily due to bad debt reversal related to the tenant receivables and contractual rent increases. The higher AFFO payout ratio in Q2 2020 uh, last year also reflected the temporary dilutive effect of the December 2019 equity offering. As at quarter end, we had a strong financial uh, and liquidity position with 8.2, approximately $8.2 million of cash on hand, $75 million of undrawn credit facilities, seven unencumbered properties with an aggregate value of $101.4 million, providing us with additional financial flexibility and a debt to GBV ratio of 41.3%. We had $401 million of outstanding debt at quarter end with an effective weighted average interest rate of 3.73%. We have a well-balanced level of annual maturities and our weighted average interest rate swap and the mortgage term is 5.5 years. The weighted average term of maturity of debt increased to 3.3 years from 2.7 years in Q1 this year, which was a result of the extension and increase of one of our credit facilities. I'd like to turn the call back to Milton for his closing remarks. Thank you very much. Great, thanks, Andrew. Uh, we've continued to collect 100% of our rent in July and August of 2021, plus rent due under the deferral agreements. We've not received any additional deferral requests. With business restrictions easing on our tenants, in line with significant increase with vaccinations for Canadians, the strength of our auto industry and economic conditions stabilizing, we feel confident that industry consolidation has started to accelerate and we should be presented with attractive opportunities for us to continue expanding our portfolio and drive growth in AFFO per unit. Given our strong balance sheet position, we can pursue acquisitions on a strategic basis through debt financing and available liquidity. We believe we are also better positioned to access capital through the equity markets at this time. This concludes our remarks, and we'd now like to open the lines for questions. Michelle, please go ahead. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the number one on your touchtone phone. You will hear three tone forms acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by the number two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Your first question comes from Scott Fromson from CIBC. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Given that uh, it's a pretty uh, uh, uneventful quarter, um, I would, uh, (laughs) which is good, I would uh, turn attention to uh, acquisitions. Uh, Even though obviously you're, you're doing what you can within the context. But just wondering, given the cap rate compression in the um, major urban markets uh, you're looking at, and yep. I'm thinking Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, are you having a hard time making deal economics uh, work? And, and are dealership owners hanging on to properties until retirement when they can sell the whole package, uh, including potential rezoning for the real estate? Uh, a couple levels on that question. Uh, the first one is, yeah, interest rates, uh, cap rates are very low right now. Um, that doesn't tend to be what's getting in our way. Uh, we are starting to see and expecting to hear some deals uh, within the dealership community announced. Um, so the activity we thought would start unfolding in, in the back half of 2021 and into 2022, um, we're still confident that that is going to start to unfold. And that's more when we get the opportunities as to buying, as opposed to buying kind of existing marketing assets. Um, a lot of the stuff we buy is off-market associated with uh, M&A. Um, so, you know, certainly the Toronto, Montreal's, Vancouver's, you know, the cap rates across all industries seem to have gone down. Uh, and that's part of the reason why we reflected a bit of that in this quarter. Um, and the second part with regards to retirement development, we've always said that if it's imminent development, dealers you know, face a conundrum on do they sell their operations and real estate or do they just you know, collapse the dealership and then sell the asset for immediate redevelopment. We, we don't tend to play in the world where someone's going to collapse their dealership and develop it right away. Um, that, that's going to go at a cap rate that is low, low, low single digits, kind of 1% or 2% holding income and then developed. Um, and that's you know, really not our business. Uh, we certainly like lands that have a higher and better use underlying, but they tend to be on mid to long-term leases if we do a sale lease back. So dealers are always faced with the conundrum, do I sell the package and get value for operations and value for real estate? or in certain locations, is the value of the real estate just too great? And therefore, they sell it specifically for higher density use. Thanks, that's helpful. Just uh, kind of a follow-up on the uh, uh, sale of ongoing uh, businesses where they're not uh, looking for rezoning opportunities. Do you you see dealers having a tough time making their own economics work? just due to the the higher rent payments that uh, would be needed to support uh, lower cap rates? 
Well, I mean, the lower cap rates probably actually helps their rental income, uh, sorry, their, their rent overhead for obvious reasons. But yeah, I mean, the, the price for acreage in a Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal is, you know, not minimal. Uh, it's gone up and will continue to go up. Um, so you're starting to see some locations that have um, kind of the, the spoken model where you have retail uh, that is a bit of a smaller footprint with the back, which is service, which obviously is where a lot of the dealers make their money, and an additional service location that is in a secondary location, not on a major artery, thoroughfare, retail presence, um, that allows them to kind of reduce their real estate costs. Um, and certainly, you know, the use of off-site compounds uh, is very prevalent in those three markets, and, you know, I would even say in the Calgary's and Edmonton's. Um, real estate is just too valuable to just park cars on. Uh, it's, it's better to have it at a secondary location and just ballet it in when the order comes in. That's great. That's helpful, uh, Milton. I'll turn it over. Thank you. Thanks. Your next question comes from Mark Rothschild from Canaccord. Please go ahead, Mark. Thanks. thanks. Good morning, guys. Um, maybe Good morning. Just following up a little bit on what you were talking about um, with the acquisition market, um, yeah. are, are you getting outbid on any properties? And to what extent does the IFRS value you're using now, and I, you made a small adjustment, but nothing too significant, reflect what's actually going on in the, in the private market? Uh, short answer is no, we're not getting outbid. Um, we've always had it that the lenders tend to be our biggest competition. Um, and in some ways, we are looking at providing long-term money because we're doing 10, 15, 20-year terms versus dealers looking at you know, short-term money with banks that are at low rates. Um, so it's, it's not that we're getting outbid, um, and certainly we expect a bit more activity uh, as we go forward, but it's always been we tend to get a last-minute call saying, come on in, let's do a deal quickly. Um, as opposed to a long runway or, you know, a traditional industrial or retail marketed, you know, grabbing a CBRE colliers and saying we'll do a bid date in six weeks. Um, that's not how dealers work, and you know that allows us to be there on the last minute. Um, but that also means there's not as much visibility of when the deals are going to occur. Okay, great, thanks. Maybe just one more. Um, so you're not getting outbid and. Clearly, you have capacity to acquire a number of assets. You've been pretty disciplined in the markets that you're focused on. Is there any discussion or interest in maybe expanding that, whether it's to smaller markets in Canada that you've kind of avoided or into maybe other large markets in the U.S. where you haven't really felt the need to go yet? Uh, we like metropolitan markets, um, and Certainly, there's some very strong metropolitan markets in the U.S., and there's other, I don't even want to call them secondary markets, but the, you know, the Kitchener-Waterloo's, the Kelowna's, the Halifax's, you know, the Sherbrooke's, the Winnipeg's, all, all of that we, we'd certainly look at for the right opportunity, right location, and right operator. Um, so we're not opposed to that as much as we like Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver. Um, that is a limited universe. Uh, we still think we can play, but that's that's slightly lower cap rates and high quality real estate. Um, we also think there's good quality real estate in other markets. Okay, great, thanks. 
Your next question comes from Lee Chen, IA Capital Markets. Please go ahead, Lee. Hi, good morning, uh, Milton and Andrew. Um, good day. I had a couple questions regarding acquisitions, but they were answered. So I guess uh, just a quick one for me. So just regarding the um, global chip shortage, I was wondering if you could provide more color on dealership car sales. So as you mentioned, you know, obviously supply of new vehicles are, you know, obviously being scarce, but that's clearly being offset by increased demand for used cars at a higher premium. So how do you think that's affected the profitability for the car dealerships over the last uh, few months? Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at the press releases from some of the auto retail groups out of the U.S. and even Canada, um, they, they seem to all start with record profits. So, um, you know, I, I'd certainly encourage you to take a quick look at some of their press releases, and that, that'll give you a very good indication. But you, you already touched on it, which is um, the margins are up because, you know, in a weird way, you can buy a one-year-old used car and pay more than a new car um, because of the lack of availability. So dealers are facing um, some supply chain issues, but that's allowing them to push pricing or maintain, you know, high levels of margins. Um, so it's it's not all bad. I guess it's more important. What's more important, revenue lines or higher profit lines? Um, and they certainly don't seem to be upset at higher profit lines. Okay, perfect. Thanks. I'll turn it back. Thank you. Your next question. Thank you. Your next question comes from Jonathan Kelcher, TD Securities. Go ahead, Jonathan. Thanks. Uh, good morning. Um, good. Just, uh, just, just for fun, I'll, I'll stick with acquisitions here. Um, okay. It sounds, it sounds like M and A chatter is is picking up in in the industry. How how would you compare that to pre COVID levels? Say that about the same time in in 2019. Um, I would think in back half and in 22, that will accelerate. Um, the, the need for spend on technology, the need for spend on commerce, uh, lower SG&A combined with availability of, you know, capital and retained profits. Um, existing small dealer groups or dealers, you know, single rooftop dealers are certainly looking at, am I going to reinvest? Or am I going to take my profits? Um, and that's a pretty compelling uh, argument. So I think we're going to see some pretty good activities, sorry, activity in the M&A world. Uh, and I think it's going to be at a greater pace than it was in 2018, 2019. Okay. And, and are you, um, this chatter, is it is it more single asset or are there some decent sized portfolios that, uh, that could become available? Uh, I think it's going to be both. Uh, I think there's going to be singles, um, and I certainly believe that there's going to be, you know, small, mid, and large-sized dealer groups that may look at M&A activity. Um, I think it's going to be both. Okay. And then just, just secondly, on... Um on your distribution, like you're, you guys obviously sailed through COVID fairly, fairly well in terms of um, zero, it's going to end up being zero bad debt. 
Um, fundamentals are good. You've got a good balance sheet. What's, what's keeping the board from increasing the distribution? I think we'd like to do some more acquisitions and push AFFO up per unit before we do that. Uh, one of the things we've always said is that once we start doing a distribution increase, we would like to be able to do that on a regular basis. Um, so it, it just starts becoming, you know, I don't want to say automatic, but a, a very regular uh, increase. Our leases, you know, primarily uh, have embedded annual rent increases. So once we start doing that, we kind of want to continue to do it consistently. Um, we have a philosophy that a one-off distribution increase, it's nice, but it's not as good as being a regular distribution increase. Okay. Short answer, we want to do some more acquisitions and drive AFFO per unit higher, and then we'll certainly, it's, it's something that uh, we think investors like and we like overall as well, um, is looking at you know increasing our distribution. Okay. Do you guys have a set AFFO payout ratio that you're, you're trying to target? Uh, we, you know, in our strategy meetings and regular meetings, we look at an internal range on when we think that would be a good time to do it, yes. We just haven't announced and we're not going to announce until we announce that we're going to do the distribution increase. Okay, so no announcement until the announcement. Exactly. Okay, thanks. I'll, uh, I'll turn it back. Your next question comes from Matt Logan from RBC. Go ahead, Matt. Thank you and good morning. Good. Andrew, in terms of the fair value gains this quarter, can you talk a little bit about how much weight you place on single tenant versus industrial transactions in your market and what drove the, the decline in cap rates this quarter? Um, the, the, the drive was basically based on the market evidence and, and obviously we can't compare ourselves totally to, to industrial. We have to look at the overall market and also trades within the market. And, and balance that out. And the approach that we took is we've seen the GTA and uh, the GMA, um, and we looked at our portfolio, and we also looked at um, previous acquisitions that uh, we had completed in those areas as well, um, and, and made adjustments in those specific areas, given the fact that there was uh, a difference overall. And with yeah, that to, that, to that point, Matt, we, we kind of triangulated because there's not a lot of specific market evidence in Canada because we, we tend to be the dominant buyer uh, of income producing automotive real estate. But if you look at single tenant retail, um, if you look at industrial, if you look south of the border, um, if you triangulate that, we felt very, very comfortable that certainly our, our Montreal and Toronto area locations um, deserve the lower cap rate. Agreed. And based on what you've seen maybe in the market that hasn't closed yet, do you think there is potential for further cap rate compression over the next few quarters? Um, it's going to be continued reviewed every quarter, and um, it's part of the process. Um, I, I can't predict where we're going to be in Q3, but um, 6.5 is a very, very um, uh, a supportable number at this point in time, and we'll assess it as we go forward. In Q3 and Q4, and maybe we're changing to see gears. pockets of strength. We're starting to see pockets of strength in other areas as well. I mean, Alberta's coming back. Um, we we certainly still like the Ottawa market. I mean, there's we, we like what we're seeing out there. We just like to see more transactions. Uh, 
appreciate the additional color. Uh, maybe changing gears, Milton. Um, with the U.S. targeting 50% uh, electric vehicle sales by 2030, um, what type of challenges and opportunities do you think that would present for the REIT if Canada followed suit? You know, whether whether it's a 50% target or, or otherwise, the short answer is the uh, EV world is going to start unfolding. Um, so that opportunity just is... Uh, we think there's going to be, you know, certainly we, we like and have done transactions with Tesla. Um, there's going to be more EVs coming to the market, both in brands and a push, you know, whether it's Volkswagen, Audi, BMW, uh, a lot of the brands are going to start looking at more and more EV, which means some CapEx up front. Uh, anytime, whether it's uh, branding or CapEx for EV, um, anytime a dealer looks at the opportunity to to expand and spend money, they're also going to look at, is that a good opportunity to exit and have someone else spend the money and take profits? So we think that's going to drive one of the factors that's going to drive further consolidation. Um, we, you know, as, as that rolls over, that's certainly new car sales, but there's also a lot of internal ICE, internal combustion engine uh, vehicles that are going to be on the road for a long time afterwards and continue to be you know, very much on the sales side and service side. Appreciate the color. I'll turn the call back. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Himanshi Gupta from Bank. Thank you and uh, good morning. So uh, just good. on the uh, cap rate discussion, uh, how's the cap rates uh, moving for U.S. auto dealership properties? I mean, I'm assuming you know, there's more activity there, there's more data available there as well. Yeah, I mean, it's the U.S., there's more of everything there. Um, we're seeing, uh, from what we've looked at, as far as talking to some of our consultants, et cetera, down in the States, they are seeing some cap rate compression. Um, you know, the, the industry overall is now viewed as more resilient than it would have been viewed pre-COVID. Um, you know, essential service, We've talked about we're collecting 100% rent. People are talking about dealership groups having very strong profits. Um, all of that has just reduced any kind of risk factor that people are looking at. And combination of a reduced risk factor in a market that is you know, showing lower yields means you're going to see lower yields on the and have seen lower yields on the asset sales in the States. Okay, uh, that's helpful. Uh, and then, you know, just staying to your way of finding the cap rates uh, or, you know, looking at the trends, it looks like, you know, you're looking at single-tenant retail and industrial properties in your calculation. H have you been looking at the single-tenant industrial properties all, I mean, uh, historically as well, or it's only very recent that you're, you know, looking at the no. industrial property valuation? We have to because of the, you know, lack of visibility on pure uh, automotive properties. We, we certainly have to, you know, cast a bit broader net to see where the trend line is going across other industries and how that, you know, has an implication on our cap rates. So we've always looked at industrial and single-tenant retail uh, on a trend line as well. Okay, okay, thanks. Uh, and then maybe, you know, you were talking about previously about the, you know, the portfolio M&A activity picking up. Uh, I mean, we read the news that, you know, 
uh, a large U.S. dealer, I think Lithia Motors, is trying to buy fast dealerships in Canada. So any read across or implications for your business? Uh, yeah, I can't speak specifically on that one, but overall, when you're seeing a large U.S. group that has a very strong uh, e-commerce platform uh, and you know availability of capital, um, one thing we've talked about, and this is probably going back a couple of years ago, one of the limitations for Canada was you had some OEMs that wouldn't allow public ownership. Um, yeah, trades like the one you're talking about that potentially can occur, uh, that's just demonstrating that those constraints are no longer there. Um, and the success they're having in the States, they are looking to export it and bring it to Canada. Um, that will probably mean you know, groups in Canada are potentially looking at taking profits or are looking at doubling down on um, their e-commerce and their um, platforms for omni-channel sales. Um, so I, I think it's a good thing. Um, anytime we stir it up just a little bit, that keeps everyone on their toes. Um, good operators here and good operators from the States is not a bad thing at all. Yeah, and maybe for my understanding, is, uh, you know, Lithia buying the just the operating business or they're buying the rooftops as well uh, from FAST? Um, we don't have short answer is on that. Yeah. we we got we got to wait to see what happens when it closes. Um, okay. Rumors and rumors, and I I can't really comment until everything's done. Got it. Okay, uh, and maybe just last question for me. I mean, a lot of discussion obviously on the acquisition pipeline. Uh, anything specific with Delari? I mean, uh, do you know how much you can close with them by the end of the year? Uh, any indications from them where they have been active on? Um. No, I mean, it's not just Delari, it's all the dealership groups will call us in late in the process, not early in the process. Um, it's one of the reasons why we want to have, and we do have, the flexibility and the capability to react quickly, um, is because we're often asked to act quickly. Um, so, um, you know, visibility discussion tend to be in general and then get very specific with a short fuse to it. Okay, that's that's helpful, and uh, thank you, and I'll turn it back. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have a question, please press the star followed by the number one on your touchtone phone. Your next question comes from Brad Sturgis from Raymond James. Please go ahead, Brad. Brad, do we have you? You got me? I'll put myself on mute there. There you go. <laughs> uh, good morning. Um, just wanted to maybe follow up. Uh, I, you've talked a lot about valuation and um, more about cap rates and maybe a little bit about replacement costs, but maybe if you could provide a little bit more granularity in terms of what you think replacement costs could be in, in some of your major markets, Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver specifically. Short answer is higher than it was a year ago. Um, yeah, I mean, no supply, no no surprise. Um, land values have gone up and construction costs have gone up. Um, I haven't put an exact number on that, but uh, you're, you're certain to see um, both timelines and getting the zoning is longer than it was previously. Um, costs 
development fees, higher materials, higher services, contractors, higher, and the underlying land value has gone up, um, especially in the markets that you're talking about. Um, so we, we haven't put a specific number on it, but yes, it's up. Right. And, you know, in terms of the development uh, approval process, you know, is it becoming really difficult just to get approval, as you talked about, in terms of, you know, it's not really the highest and best use to just put uh, cars on, on land? Yeah. Um, planning offices don't have a love affair with automotive retail. Um, you know, we still look at it and we're proponents because if you look at it, it is um, high income, uh, high number of jobs per square foot. Uh, it, it's not, you know, minimum wage retail type stuff. It's they're making real money. Um, so we view it very much as employment and some planners are absolutely agreeing with that. But mm -hmm. just, you know, whether it's automotive or any other type of development um, in the major markets, that's a long timeline, complicated, um, and it doesn't seem to be getting shorter. Okay. But one of the things we've always said is we like the fact that we have zoning on the existing locations because it's tough to get that zoning. Makes sense. I'll, I'll turn it back. Thanks a lot. Michelle? Hi, sorry about that. We do have one more caller, Kalbuli uh, from National Bank. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Good, yeah. Good. Um, just uh, maybe in terms of talking with your tenants, are you seeing any, like, variance among the brands or anything right now? Uh, you know, just as we recover, I know, you know, you talked earlier about supply availability. Like, are there maybe certain brands that are, you know, maybe having a more, you know, more difficult time of it? Others are, you know, doing better? Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, we've we've heard about it in some of the, you know, pickup truck world. Um, a lot of our brands tend to be more commuter, the the Honda, BMW, Audis of the world. Um, some of its brands, some of its specific models. Um, so it, it does tend to ebb and flow. I, I will say that, you know, a lot of them have looked at refreshing their product line, uh, and that's creating some good excitement. Uh, and some of those are, you know, did it last year, some are doing it this year, some are doing it next year. So <clears throat> as they bring on new models, that tends to drive a bit more excitement. Um, but that's, you know, in, in our world, we're not really seeing it affect one in a, in a in a negative way and the other one in a positive way. It tends to just be a bit of a rolling. Um, and it, it's certainly why we like dealing with dealership groups. And, you know, as, as you know, a lot of our leases have indemnification from a group that has multiple brands and multiple locations. Um, right. And that allows us to sleep at night. Got it. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about M&A. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, you know, like as you look uh, around the landscape, are there like other parts of sort of the automotive, uh, you know, world that could provide other triple net opportunities to you? Like I think about, you know, here in this country, we've got service garage consolidators, parts distributors. Um, you know, is that 
is there opportunities maybe outside of the pure dealership, uh, you know, uh, uh, type of real estate? I think there could be. Um, I mean, if you asked me if, you know, there's a beautiful Caterpillar location in Vaughan, um, would we like to own that? Absolutely. I think a lot of people would. Um, so, I mean, I think there's there are some different ones that have a lot of the same characteristics and are automotive. Um, that we potentially could look at in the right opportunities. Um, so I, I would say we view uh, ourselves as automotive as opposed to just automotive dealership retail. Uh, it's one of the reasons why we like dealing with Tesla because it's the direct OEM um, and they have a slightly different model. Um, so as, as that whole industry continues to evolve, we think we're going to see other opportunities as well that may be not the specific dealership, but are you know backed up with a good covenants um, and strong real estate locations. And in the past, you know, you've done some dealers or some de development work. Um, you know, if we're thinking about how automotive retail might shift over you know the next yeah. 10, 20 years with the changes in the industry, does that seem like something you're probably going to be doing more of in the future? Um, you know, particularly you were talking earlier in the call about shifting you know inventory. Uh, holding to, you know, land off-site, that kind of stuff. Do you think there's going to be more opportunities that come up because of that kind of structure emerging more? I think it's, you know, it's it's inevitable and it's not pioneering. Um, you go down to New York, you go over to Europe, you look in Asia. Um, these OEMs are absolutely used to, in high-density locations, being in a smaller retail footprint with an ancillary outside. And that smaller dealership footprint may be and often is in a mixed-use complex. Um, there's a lot of moving parts to get there. And as long as you do it up front as opposed to try to squeeze it in after the fact, um, it, it, it is doable and I think it's inevitable. Okay. And then just lastly, like when you guys went public, um, you know, you sort of came out with a more novel you know, debt structure with multiple credit facilities and then layering the rate hedges in on top. Um, yeah. As you guys have matured in the market, you know, in your conversations with the banks, um, you know, is there any, you know, opportunities to sort of consolidate, simplify, uh, you know, look at, you know, maybe uh, more cost, more potentially more cost effective um, solutions on the debt side? Um. I actually think in many ways <clears throat> what we have is pretty simple and in many cases you're seeing some other REITs do it as well. If you've got an unencumbered portfolio that you can put together and get, you know, we're, we're BAs plus 150. Um, that's a pretty, you know, we think it's a cost effective use. Um, a and B, we think it adds flexibility. Um, so we certainly will look at specific properties in doing long-term mortgages. We, we announced one last quarter, um, but short answer is we, we really like the fact that we can take advantage of the credit facilities that have the flexibility and the cost of capital that it has. Um, you know, the next just, level just, would be unsecured, and that's, you know, you've got to be a certain size yeah. to get there, uh, and you don't want to do that too early because if it unwinds, that hurts a lot of things. Yes, yeah, sorry, Andrew, were you going to say something there? It sounded like uh, in terms of flexibility, I think uh, over the last five to six years, we've uh, um, we've renewed and uh, extended 
uh, our maturities on the on the credit facilities, um, and 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 had a healthy weighted average to maturity on the interest rate swaps. Um, so I I think it's the, the overall structure is working very well. And we've yeah, added. Sorry, we've I wasn't trying couple, to imply that. We've added a, no, 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 we've added a couple of mortgages in between as well. So um, I yeah, think we've yeah. got a very, very good balanced approach to it. Okay, yeah, that's perfect. I just was, I was just curious if, like, over the time, in the public, you know, public and bankers maybe come to you with, the, you know, different kinds of ideas around that. But that's great. Yeah, their ideas are always, can you roll everything together and let us be lead? <laughs> but uh, I, I understand that strategy. We like to have um, different groups at the table because you don't want just pure herd mentality. Uh, and you don't want to just be controlled by one. All right. I got it. Thanks, Milton. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. As there are no further questions at this time, I will now turn it back to Mr. Lam. That's great, everyone. Uh, enjoy the rest of the summer, and we look forward to talking to you in Q3. Goodbye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Do you have that one piece of clothing you keep going back to, no matter how full your closet is? Having a versatile, high-quality favorite feels great, but having a whole closet of them feels even better. American Giant puts the quality, durability, and comfort they're famous for into everything, from t-shirts and jeans to sweatshirts and jackets, and of course, their legendary best hoodie ever. So you can fill your wardrobe with the pieces that will get you through your spring days like the lightweight joggers and pullovers in the French Terry collection, or the rich and polished premium slub crew tee. Whether you're dressing for work, the gym, or happy hour, American Giant makes something that's sure to be your next closet go-to. And it's all made in America and designed to last a lifetime. Find a closet staple for every part of your day at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.